Hello and welcome into another episode on the Labumba Pastors blog. I'm Masumba Jonathan. Today's lesson continues our series on the book of Acts. The title is Acts 7, The Fruits of Israel. And we're going to begin by reading from verse 54 to verse 60 of Acts chapter 7, which says, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. In our last lesson in Acts, we looked at Stephen's summary of Israel's history, in which he condemned the nation of Israel for its continuous rejection of God and his messengers. In the continuation of the passage, we see instead of being convicted and repenting at Stephen's true statements about them, these men gnashed their teeth at Stephen and stoned him to death. They furthered their guilt by condemning yet another one of God's faithful servants. Jesus said this about these men when he pronounced judgment against them. In Matthew 23, from verse 32 to verse 35, we read, Fill up, then, the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Isn't it ironic that these men got angry with Stephen for, this, for his accusation against them and then proceeded to do a work that proved he was absolutely correct in his description of them? Our church has been traveling through a series on the book of Jude, which is a letter majorly warning the church about people who pretend to follow Jesus and how we can identify such people. Throughout history, the greatest persecutors of true followers of God have been people who claim to also be followers of God. The fruit of Israel was apostate, meaning false profession, they falsely profess religion, and persecution of God's followers. God spoke of Israel this way in the book of Zephaniah, chapter 1, from verse 4 to 6, saying, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priests along with the priests, those who bow down on the roofs to the host of the heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord, and yet swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. We see in their religion a combination of worshiping Jehovah, at least claiming to worship Jehovah, while they also worshiped false deities. 
and they did not actually pursue God to know God. And such is what we find today more subtly in the church. Just yesterday, someone sent me a post from an article quoting the Archbishop of Kampala Diocese, Paul Semoguerere. I'm sorry if I'm butchering that, that name. Semoguerere. You know, I'm, I'm not a Luganda speaker naturally, so I'm trying. So anyways, this is a quote from a message that that man gave his listeners. I'm, I'm quoting from the article. He says, God will not entertain the poor in heaven. You will not go there. I will also stand at the entrance to stop you from going there. We have misunderstood the gospel. Being poor should not be misinterpreted to be without money. So according to the archbishop, the, the word poor doesn't mean that you're actually poor in the sense of not having money. It means something different. I don't know what it means, but he says it means something different. Then he later added this statement. He said also, God will say, I created you with eyes, the brain, and gave you life, and you die poor? You will perish in hell. We should work hard. Let's not sleep and be idle. Thankfully, for those of us who are considered poor by the world's standards, our Lord Jesus Christ gives us a very different description about those who will populate the kingdom of heaven. In Luke chapter 6, verse 20 and 21, we read this. It says, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. The bishop attempts to say that when God speaks of believers as being poor, he isn't referring to money. But this is soundly contradicted again by what the Bible says. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 9, it says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. These people were in poverty financially. Jesus says they were in poverty. Yet he also said because of their salvation, they were rich in God's eyes. He says that entrance into heaven is actually more difficult for a rich person. In Mark chapter 10, from verse 23 to verse 25, we read, And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. I think that from the gospel the Archbishop believes in and the gospel he preaches, he is extremely mistaken about the gate he will find himself at when the Lord passes judgment on him. The Bible says that just as Jesus has gone to prepare a place for his people, he has also prepared a place for these pretenders. In Jude, verse 12 and 13, we read, These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds, swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Notice the place that God has prepared and reserved for the wicked, for those who claim to follow him 
and yet do not. It is the gloom of outer darkness they will find themselves cast into. This is why Jesus informed us that we could recognize a tree by its fruits. I don't mean the fruits that false religious leaders point to. They will testify about fruits of owning nice cars, large houses, and having a lot of money in their bank accounts. But the fruits the Bible speaks of are the fruits of righteousness. In Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, we read, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. If you contrast these Jewish leaders' response to Stephen's condemnation of them and of their nation, if you contrast their fruits, their actions, with Stephen's response to how they treated him, who was producing the fruits of God and who was producing the fruits of the devil? Stephen, even as he's executed, demonstrates that he had the love of God, the joy of God, the peace of God, the self-control of God, in how he asked God to forgive these people for what they did to him. These false people, like the nation of Israel, instead produce these kinds of fruits, described in verse 19 to 21 of Galatians 5. It says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. How many stories have you heard of sexual immorality, corruption, and divorce among church leaders? And it's interesting that such people then often warn about division in the church being the biggest problem. Why do they say things like that? Why do they ignore immoral behavior and instead focus on, oh, we shouldn't have division. We should just get along with each other. No one should confront or accuse anyone. Because they want people to overlook their behavior in some mistaken idea that that is what God wants us to do. The Bible tells us this is how we are to deal with people who claim to follow Jesus but are guilty of unrepentant sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, from verse 11 to 13, we read, But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. I'm not saying every church is like this, nor that there are no faithful men boldly declaring what listeners with itching ears don't want to listen to. But in general, we find the church looks a lot like the nation of Israel. There is honor of God with lips, while people's hearts are far from him. They don't obey his word. They live instead controlled by the desires of their flesh. They have jealousy and hatred among them. They do what they do for the praise of man and appearances in front of man, rather than what God actually approves of. Do you not see a parallel between Stephen's judges and churches in our culture? Faithful messengers, faithful messengers, are contradicted and reviled 
while liars are praised and admired. I want you to consider the fruits that we see. These Jewish leaders, by reputation and title, were the most religious men in a nation whose identity, their national identity, was bound up in their religion. They were supposed to be the most religious nation in the world, and these men were the most religious men of the most religious nation in the world. And yet, how did they actually respond to God's messengers and God in the flesh, Emmanuel, when he came to them? They rejected all of them. So friends, let's be careful about who we listen to, where we fellowship from, and what we believe. Those who reject God's word are not of God. Those who disobey his instructions are not of God. Those who measure their spiritual status by their material gain are not of God. Those who teach carefully, obey faithfully, and in due season produce the fruit of God's Spirit, show they are the true followers of Jesus Christ. God bless you all.